Amen. If you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, a little bit of an echo up here, Brother Mike. Um, Wednesday night is uh, somewhere between teaching and preaching, all right? There's somewhere in between there. It's Bible uh, knowledge for ourselves. It's a, the ability to uh, see where we are in our growth and uh, to help apply that so then we can serve the Lord uh, in the different ministries God's allowed us to be. And last week, we started a series called Seeing the Big Picture. Um, this is a place where many of us often struggle, and I think it's an okay thing to struggle because that, re- that means we realize we don't have all of the details down, and no one does, all right? There is, there's a lot of things from the Word of God, and uh, more than just details, there's, there's just layers, as I mentioned last week, uh, where you can read the same passage, you're in a different spot in life, and God will work, uh, God has something for you at this stage of life as well, and we're, aren't we glad that that's true? But we struggle with the flow of the Bible many times because of how we, uh, we miss the connections based on sometimes how we teach the Word of God. We might be in the Old Testament one week and the New Testament the next week. And, you know, as months and months and years go by of that, we, we start to uh, struggle with how these different things come together. So at the end of last week's message, we started looking at three different ways to categorize or to divide the Bible in an effort to know where we are, and to whom a passage uh, is speaking, who's the main audience, and then is any of it directed to me? Is there something that I need to gain out of this myself? So the first type of the divisions, we spent a great deal of time on this. Uh, I've summarized it here. Uh, The first, last week's notes have a little more detail on this, but the first type is the chronological order, or we're going to call them stages of the Bible. We're going to use this, as we go through this series, you're going to see we're going to use this as our basis because uh, I think it's the easiest way to gain an understanding of the flow of the Word of God. So that's what we're going to use as we go on through this, but I'm going to mention the other two types of division tonight as well. hope to not spend too much time on that so we can get to stage one. But the chronological stages, if you remember, this was... Uh, this was a way that places every book in the Bible uh, into 12 different historical divisions. So when we get to, uh, say, as you look at that list up there, when we get to the United, go back one, please, the the United Kingdom or the Chaotic Kingdom, we we see where the different prophecies go in there, the minor prophets and the major prophets, and we see how those connect in there. So the stages describe unique periods of time in God's progressive revelation to us. We see their creation, which we're going to look at tonight. Creation, then the fall, then the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. And that's that first stage, and we see how those items go together. The patriarchal stage where we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Job, we're going to fit in there too. And then the na- how uh, Israel becomes a nation, and then how they are taken down into Egypt, and so forth and so on. So I'm not going to go through each of those again, but they are there in your notes if you'd like to see those. Uh, I would consider uh, this level of describing and dividing the Word of God, uh, the one of understanding the flow of the Bible the best. And in this method, all the prophets, all the poetry, and the little side accounts, they fit in. You know, where's the book of Esther fit in? Where's the book uh, of Ecclesiastes fit in? And we can see where, as we go along, we'll see how those fit together. And this gives us then a good grasp of who the contemporaries are uh, of each other during this time and who came before and who, who is after this person. Well, who's the major player through God's recorded history in this area? This also allows us to link what's going on uh, in the Bible with what's happening on other parts of the world. What major empire is going on outside of Israel uh, during the time of the chaotic kingdom, where the, the, the split kingdom there? Well, Egypt's going on, Assyria comes to power, later Babylon comes to power, and we'll talk about how those uh, fit together with this as well, so secular historical accounts. So that is, uh, that's the first way of dividing the Word of God, and I'm, we, we won't talk anymore about that. If you want to hear more, go ahead and listen to last week's. But the next method of looking at the flow of the Bible is by covenants. By covenants. 
Throughout the Bible, uh, the Lord made different covenants with mankind and sometimes specifically with Israel. Now, I've got them listed up there. It's probably too hard to see them. That's a lot of print, but uh, they're, on, they're in front of you as well. Now, with these covenants, we have to realize there's two types. Uh, in those covenants, they can be broken down to two different types. One is conditional, where God says, if you do this, I will do this. All right? Promises you make to your kids. I think Brother Gary was talking about that Sunday. You know, if, if you clean up your room, you will get ice cream, you know, whatever it might be. But then there are unconditional covenants as well, where God comes to them, and uh, in the fact, uh, in the, you know, in the case of Abraham, Abraham wasn't even awake. He was in a dream when God made the covenant with him. So there was no back and forth there. If you do this, he just promised Abraham, this is the covenant that I'm going to give to you. And in Genesis chapter 12, and again, and again in 15, he gives the great details on how he's going to bless him. And he's going to, anyone that curses him, he would curse them. And he's going to give him land and, and all of these different things. So, as we look through there, there are seven or eight covenants, just depending. Not everybody agrees on all of these, the, the description of them. Uh, and they sort of build upon each other. So we see here the uh, Edenic covenant, Eden. This is uh, prior to, go back one for me, please. Prior to sin, you know, what man was to do then. There's uh, the covenant made with Adam uh, after the fall, after sin entered. Uh, we'll describe these more in a few seconds. Uh, Noah's, the covenant after Noah, after the flood, Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant. Once they were ready to enter into the promised land, he made not just the uh, Mosaic covenant with them, but he also made one right before they went in. At Mount Sinai, he has a covenant with them when he delivers the law. Then he makes a covenant with David that the that the uh, the Messiah or there would never be uh, there would never be someone outside of his lineage on the throne, and then the new covenant of transforming our hearts and uh, how salvation coming from that. Now, a covenant. If you want to go to the next slide, a covenant is a, a binding agreement between God and man. And as we look at these, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm just presenting them to you. The Abrahamic covenant, uh, the Palestinian covenant, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenants, these were all ones that were made to Israel. So as you read these, there's interesting details in there. We can learn some things. I know uh, for a fact the Abrahamic covenant, if, I were, if, if we as a nation start to go against Israel, we're in trouble. All right? It's still, it's, that covenant is still real. And uh, we need to be very careful. So there's portions of those covenants that do somewhat apply to us. And so we need to look at that. But these were made primarily to Israel. As I, uh, as I mentioned then, there are some that are unconditional. The Abrahamic covenant, that's, that, is their, that is one that Abraham wasn't even awake when it was made. The Davidic covenant wasn't, is, an, is an unconditional one as well. David didn't do anything to earn it. David didn't have to do anything to keep it. He just said, this is, this is the covenant that will be made with you. Then we get to one like the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, this is conditional. God says, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, he has them stand on one mountain with a group of people, and then he has a, the other half stand on another mountain. And this is the mountain of blessing, and he mentions all the blessings, and this is the mountain of cursing. And he says, if you will follow me, and you will follow my law, and these blessings are going to happen to you in your family, in your land. These, on this side, if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. These curses are going to come upon you as a nation. So this isn't a covenant that applies to us at all in this aspect. So we see these, there's this conditional part. Then there's the Edenic and the, uh, the one to Adam and Noah and the New Covenant. These were bet made between God and all of mankind. Now, we're going to highlight these as they come up in the timeline, but I'll give you a quick overview of these. Uh, the Edenic Covenant, this is the time of innocence uh, prior to the fall of man into sin. 
This covenant deals with man's responsibility towards caring for God's creation. There's no sin in the world. This is pure Adam. And, and they're following God's command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a conditional there. If you do this, this will happen. If you don't eat of this tree, so there's a condition there. Then after they fall, we have the, the one, the Adamic, or however you want to pronounce that, a covenant with Adam there following the fall of man. This covenant deals with the curses against mankind. Uh, different things occurred when Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, God eventually then shows, he kills the sacrifice and covers them with, with uh, the skin of that animal. And God shows grace on them uh, in their sin. Then there's the, no, the one to Noah, the Noahic covenant, an unconditional covenant that God will no longer flood the earth. He will no longer destroy the entire earth by flood. Then Abraham. Abraham, we're moving on. So we're chronologically, we're going down the path here. Abraham, God promised Abraham, his descendants, uh, that he would have them as the sand of the sea, of the stars of the sky, uh, the geographic boundaries that they were going to have, and blessings uh, and, uh, on their life and curses against those that cursed them. Then, as they get closer to the promised land, after they've gone down into Egypt for a while and they come up out of Egypt, he makes the Palestinian covenant. And this one builds on what he said to Abraham. Now he's showing the very land that they're going to have. Abraham never had it during his life. He goes down 430 years, they come back up, and now they're the detailed land covenant, now to the full nation of Israel. Mosaic covenant, the conditional covenant with Israel, the blessings and cursings if they are obedient or disobedient. David's covenant, as I mentioned, it's furthering, building on the Abrahamic covenant. Now he's narrowed it down to one specific family inside the descendants of Abraham to David that the, the, Lord's, the Lord promised that David's family, the kingdom would remain in the lineage and the future king, Jesus Christ, would come from it. And the new covenant, God's promise of salvation by freeing man from the penalty of law through his son, Jesus Christ. So the covenants happen through time. They continue to go on. But this way of division uh, deals with building on promises that God has made. Casting an eye toward the future Savior. And eventually, we see the fulfillment of that with Jesus Christ coming to earth. And with covenants, we need to know that where, where we are in the history of Israel. When we do this, then we can determine what promises, what covenants have, uh, had, have been made up to that point. I'll give you an example. So you're, hopefully you're coming back with me here. I think I've lost a few of you here. All right? So... If we're in the book of 2 Kings, one of the, uh, I mean, this is a made-for-TV made movie right here. We have Queen Athaliah. Boo, right? You know her. Everybody boos Queen Athaliah. And we have, she comes in and she kills off all of the offspring of, of, her, of her son. So there are, there are no, there are no, there's nobody left in there except for little baby Joash. He is taken into the temple. He's hidden there for a few years. And when we look at this, we have to ask, where am I in history? Well, we know this. This is after the Davidic covenant. So with that in mind, I see God fulfilling his covenant with David to keep David's lineage on the throne. Baby Joash wasn't just Lucky, he was divinely preserved by God's hand, keeping his covenant promise to David. So when I see that, there's a little more detail there. Because I know where I am along the timeline with, with, the, with the covenants. Now, as we read, we must also be careful not to claim, claim covenant promises that don't apply to us. There are uh, full denominations and, unfortunately, a growing number of Baptists that ascribe to covenant theology. And we won't go into great detail on that. But in this, they believe that the church has taken the place of Israel. So the promises that were made to, the, to Israel are now made to us. That, but we're not, meant, we're not meant for those. 
They were not meant for the church. And when we do this, it changes everything in our mindset as we look through, the, through Scripture. It changes our mindset of what happens in the end times as well. For example, if we look at the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it has seven clauses to it. One, the dispersion for disobedience. You don't do this, you're going to be dispersed to other nations. The future, once they are dispersed, that they're going to realize that and they're going to return to God. So the future repentance, the return of the Lord, that one does apply to us. The restoration of the land, you'll get your land back. You'll get Israel, what we see today. We'll see a national conversion of of the Jews. This hasn't been fulfilled yet, but it's going to happen. The judgment on Israel's oppressors once they've repented. And national prosperity. Only one of those seven apply to us. As you read the book of Revelation, you see these unfulfilled or uncompleted portions of these promises made to Israel will be fulfilled once the church is raptured. All those promises that God has made, they will finally be fulfilled. So, Use covenants to inform you on how God has revealed himself to his people and how God has cared for his people. But don't cram the Bible into a framework that's not there. We need to be very careful about that. All right. So that's covenants. That's the second way of dividing the word of God. The third one would be dispensations. Anybody know that word? Okay. Now, there's more than one of you that know that word, but thank you. All right. Dispensations. What does dispensation mean? It's a term used by the Apostle Paul. He uses it two times in the book of Ephesians. The, the base word for that is used 19 times in the New Testament. It's more, though, than many times when you say dispensations, people think that's just segmenting times of history. But it's more than that. Because the word itself, dispensation, carries this sense of responsibility by mankind that he has toward God in what has been revealed to them. I've got two quotes here. Schofield put it this way. It is a period of time during which man is tested in respect of obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. So God's revealed something to them, and it's then that time, that dispensation, is showing their their respect of obedience to what God has shown them. Ryrie, who's uh, probably the the most well-respected on this subject, he says a dispensation is primarily a stewardship arrangement and not a period of time though obviously the arrangement will exist during a period of time. A dispensation is basically the arrangement involved, not the time involved. I hope that makes sense. I've got those quotes down there so you can read those when you you have time. So God's revelation happens in stages through the process of time to which then man is given stewardship based on faith and what has been revealed. Now, as we look at dispensations, this is another one that you'll hear people, they'll slice and dice this a little uh, different ways. So that's a little bit up to debate. But the premise is the same. Many of, uh, many of them are in, uh, of, the, of the dispensations are in direct relation, as we'll see tonight, with covenants God made with man. Since in many of them, God reveals more of his plan. So therefore, it makes sense that it would be considered a dispensation as well. So let's look at these, uh, these seven. The first is uh, that of innocence. From creation of man to the fall of man. Conscience. And people name these a little slightly different, but this is the fall of man to the flood. Human government. From the flood, from the flood to the dispersion at Babel. The promise. The dispersion of Babel up till Mount Sinai. The law, when the law is given to Moses and the Israelites, this takes us all through most of the Old Testament, from Mount Sinai and the middle of the book of Exodus all the way up to Pentecost. Then we have the dispensation of grace, the church age, from Pentecost to the rapture. We're in this right now. Then there is the one, this, some people slice this up into three, but I'll, I just put it as one, the dispensation of the kingdom 
from the rapture to eternity. Some people will break this up into the tribulation, meaning the rapture to the second coming of Christ. The millennium, while Jesus is here in his second coming, uh, to the great white throne judgment, and then from the great white throne judgment to eternity. So with this, man's stewardship within the revelation of each of these dispensations builds upon the next one. For you and me, as I said, we're in the dispensation of grace. We're in the church age. But through all of these, this is the big difference, I think, between this and covenant theology, is salvation is always by faith. If we go to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, and it mentions people all through the word of God, all of them are told that they lived by faith, by what had been revealed to them at that point. So we see here that salvation is always by faith in any age based on what has been revealed at that time. We now have the responsibility or the stewardship in our life of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're post Jesus Christ's resurrection and ascension. So we have the decision, what will we do with Jesus Christ? Will we accept him? Will we reject him? That's where we are at today. Now, as you can see, it's important to see the big picture, to know where we are in the, in the word of God, where a specific person is, where we're reading about uh, where we're reading about this in the, in the Word of God. So I urge you not to take away uh, any of these things too seriously. Don't go too far with the covenant theology or the, the dispensationalism because they're just tools for helping us understand the Word of God. Uh, we should not cram things into them. For instance, I, I mentioned one on the covenant side. Let me mention one on the dispensation side uh, that we have seen uh, sometimes with folks I know here at Friendship with, over the years we've dealt with this. If you take dispensations too far, it's called uh, a term called ultra-dispensationalism. All right, dispensational with ultra in the front of it. You've taken it too far. The thought is that a Christian in the dispensation of grace then... I'm here in this segment. That means that only, I only accept the portions of the Bible that are written directly to the church in my dispensation. Meaning uh, they would see the Old Testament is not applying to them. The Gospels, not applying to them. The Gospels, not applying to them. The general epistles, those that weren't written by Paul, not applying to them. And they would only adhere to Paul's epistles and the latter half of the book of Acts. Think of all of the scripture that you will not learn and glean from in your life. And this loses sight of the progressive revelation of God through scripture. The principles and the precepts in the book of Psalms and in Proverbs that are timeless for any person dispensationalists that we, we take a literal view of Scripture. But when it goes too far in the ultra case here, we lose the application from other areas of the Bible in our life. Yes, something might be applying directly to Israel, but the applications from that can still apply to me today. And when we go too far in this and slicing and dicing the Word of God, we lose so much of the Word of God. For instance, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, the interpretation of that in context is to the Jews that are in front of him. Yet, there are many applications from that teaching for me today. Now, taken too far, we lose sight of, uh, of other things. Paul, when Paul teaches, what is he teaching there is no scripture other than the Old Testament. He is using the Old Testament. And then I'm supposed to believe today that I'm not used, supposed to use the Old Testament. That doesn't make any sense at all. During the dispensation of grace, we still see the application from the entire word of God in our life. So I urge you not never to isolate passages of scripture for private interpretation. See the big picture. All right, that's why we're here. All right, stage one. You ready for it? So we're going back to the chronological. We're not going to talk about uh, details on those dispensations and covenants and all God's people said amen. And uh, we're, going to we're going to go through using the different stages here of chronological. 
With all that in mind, we're, we're going to look at these different things, uh, and we're going to go try to do a stage a week. Probably not going to happen, but we're going to try to do that. And tonight we have the creation stage. Uh, this stage includes, if you look on your list from the first week, it includes creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Now, starting Sunday, we're going to go, we're going to take an in-depth study. We're going to start a new series, and we're going to see God's eternal plan. We're going to spend a lot of time on creation next week, uh, on this Sunday. So I'm not going to, I'm going to, for the sake of that study, we're going to look at the big picture and the flow of this and not go into intricate details here. So this section starts, this whole creation section, you can write this down if you want to. It covers Genesis 1 through Genesis 11, verse 9. That is the segment that we will be looking at. That's the creation segment of those four items. Genesis 1, verse 1, through Genesis 11, verse 9. Now with this, it only makes sense that a great deal of firsts occur during this section. What are some firsts that we see during this section? What's that? Light. The first sin. Before that, the first man. The first woman. All right, we got those. Uh, we see uh, after the first, we see the first marriage. We then see the first sin. Uh, with that, we see the first sacrifice. We see the first children or child. We see then the first murder. After the first murder, we see the first city being formed. First skills that we're told about. First music, the first curse. The first display of God's wrath as we get toward, uh, as we get toward the flood. We see the first government being formed, and on and on and on it goes. It only makes sense because it's the beginning. We should see that, right? And I say all that because the law of first mention is very important in the Word of God. Uh, the, God's first mention of an item gives us a feel for how He views that and how we are to view this item or this concept through Scripture. And we'll see this consistently throughout, throughout the Word of God. So the law of first mention comes into play as we look at this creation section. So we're going to call these 1.1 through 1.4, okay? 1.1, creation itself. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. No attempt to prove God exists. There's not like a whole book before then, or chapters. No, in the beginning, God. It simply confesses it. That's awesome. Now, we'll speak more on that on Sunday, but then we have the six days of creation. And as we see these six days of creation, they are culminating to a single point for one item to be created. You and I, mankind. Mankind was formed from the dust of the ground. Dust was already there. He had already created that part. And he forms us from that. And then he does something that he does to no other creature, no other item on the planet. He breathes into his nostrils and he becomes a living soul. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit breathes into Adam and he becomes a living soul, and he is created, fashioned in the likeness of God. Then, from his rib, we don't know how long this goes by, but from his, from his rib is taken, and then he forms, the Lord forms Eve to be Adam's helpmeet. So we have the first man, and we have the first woman. Where are they? Sure, in the Garden of Eden to take care of it. So what's going on here? In this garden, they're supposed to care for the plants that are in this, in this garden. There was no death. There was no disease. They would live forever. They were, they were supposed to only eat of the things of the garden, so they, were, uh, they weren't eating the other animals because that would cause death. So they basically were vegetarians. 
Fortunately, God has changed that now, right? <laughs> Research shows us that the earth at this point was, was one large continent with the little in the form of mountain ranges like we would know today. Uh, the ocean would have been shallower at that point as well than we have today. At this point, we have, we're in the dispensation of innocence. We are in the Edenic covenant, the first man, the first woman, and the first marriage. Creation. But something happens, or we know this, and the fall occurs. We're not told, we're not told how much time transpires from the time of Adam and Eve being there caring for the garden and the time where the serpent comes and, and beguiles them in Genesis chapter 3. Up until this point, they were in a state of innocence. Think of it as a very naive child. But more than that, uh, they, uh, they, weren't in the, they didn't know the ways of the world, but they were even more, think of that, they were even more pure than that child that you know. Sin had not reached man. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 1, it tells us, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of, of every tree of the garden? Now down to verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them of them both were opened, and they knew not that they were. And sorry, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. God had made mankind to express His love on us. That's the reason we're here, to express His love on us. That was that was the purpose of our creation, and at this moment. The relationship was damaged beyond the repair that any mortal man can repair on their own. And sin entered the world. The end of Romans 5.19 says, the beginning of that verse says, For as by one man's disobedient, many were made sinners. In Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19, we enter then into the second covenant. Let's read that. This is where, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou hast cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat, it, uh, eat of it cursed, it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. And he continues to go on uh, with that down to, through verse 19. And we see the second covenant of Eden here in the dispensation now of conscience, conscience, where they understand mankind is now conscience of good and evil. They're not naive to that anymore. They're not pure. They're not innocent of that anymore. And with that, we know that physical and spiritual death now has reigns upon all men. Everyone awaits this. But the promise of a Messiah is vaguely foretold in, in verse 15 there. And all men must then look by faith to God for salvation. This portion of, of this lasts from Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 6. This portion, this stage, lasts from Genesis 3 through 6, the fall of man until Noah's flood. Here we're introduced to Cain and Abel. We see something here that is a first. The first sacrifices are made. Uh, we see Abel's blood sacrifice versus Cain's work of his hands that he is sacrificing to God. The covering of sin with blood versus works-based religion is introduced. And God will not accept the works-based solution. And he still doesn't today. 
The covering of sin continued to go on with blood until the point of Jesus Christ where it was no longer covering. It was washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then something happens. Cain kills Abel. And now we see him forming the very first civilization. And it goes into a lot of detail there, talking about his lineage and the different things that occur there. There's metallurgy that begins. There are, uh, the arts begin at that point. We have manufacturing that is going on. Yes, manufacturing that is going on. There's an interesting study here too, where we see God's first mention of cities. There's not a lot of positive there. Uh, the only positive about any city that we really see in the whole Word of God is when it talks about Zion. That's an interesting study that I'm, I haven't come to full grips on how to present that yet, but I'm thinking about it. That's, it's an interesting thing if you want to look at that yourself. By the end of chapter 4, we're introduced now, Cain's killed Abel and what, what's going to happen. So now we're introduced to the, line, the godly lineage through Adam and Eve through their son, Seth, their third son, Seth. Now let's consider what we know uh, from Genesis 3 through 6. This is some interesting things. From creation, the creation week, to the flood, there, there was 1,656 years. Going on the years, it tells us when they were born, it tells us when their son was born, and when they died. So we could get a really good calculation there. So there, between the flood, between creation week and the flood, there was 1,656 years. The average lifespan of the godly lineage were given uh, from Adam was 912 years. So the average lifespan uh, was 912 years based on that lineage. So if you assume a 2% growth rate, which it was is been pretty common through, through life. It's now decreased here in the last decade or so. Uh, imagine men starting to father children by the age of 50, over 1,656 years. That means by the time of the flood, this is why I'm sharing this, by the time of the flood, there could have been several billion people on the planet. We look today at almost 8 billion people, and we, th we think, you know, in my mentality, I have always thought, you know, there was eh, a few thousand people on the earth. No, 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 no. Several billion people could have existed on the pre-flood earth. And it tells us there that the evil was constantly in front of them. This also means, very interesting, that uh, Adam lived to see eight generations of his godly lineage. Is there a chart there next to, after this slide? Brother Wayne? I don't either. <laughs> oh, it's not there. I'm sorry. Okay, very good. We'll come back to it later. So this means that Adam saw eight generations of his lineage. He knew Noah's father. There it is. Thank you. He knew Noah's father for 56 years. So he knew, uh, he knew um, Lamech there before, for 56 years before, uh, before Adam died. He only died 126 years before Noah's birth. So put that in perspective. He knew eight generations because they lived so long. That's a different mentality than we, we are today. If someone sees four or five generations in their family, that's, that's phenomenal in, today, in today's world. So this was a time of, of extremely long life. Uh, we can assume, based on what happens next, that they were also of one language. So pre-flood, they were, lived a very long life. They were all of one language. And mankind completely corrupted themselves. Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart what? Was only evil. How long? Continually. So verse 3, we see there God states that he's going to cause the lifespan to drop. And it's now going to drop to 120 years. And we'll, we'll come back to that. Now we get to 1.3, the flood. So we've looked now at the creation now we've seen the fall of man and we've seen this rise of the population and they're continually evil and God's had enough. 
And we get to the flood, and it says in Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Some good songs written about that. The Lord has Noah build an ark of any place in America. We know that, right? We got the ark right down the street from us. We, we see that all the time. God had Noah build an ark. He sends the animals to him so he can load, load that. And we've had full sermons on how that's possible. It's very easily that's, that, that, that is possible. Even during that time, we see God gives mankind another hundred or so years to look to him while Noah's building the ark. But yet they don't do that. So on Noah's 600th birthday, his 600th birthday present was, verse 711, uh, to get into the boat and the flood starts to come. At 600 years old, he is told to get into the ark and uh, every one of those billions of people are going to die, all but eight people. Noah, Mrs. Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons, and their wives. Those and the animals get into the ark, and the wrath of God is poured out. Here we enter the Noah's covenant and the, the human government dispensation. The relation of man to earth is, is shown in this. The order of nature is confirmed as man being the top of the pecking order. Human government is established during this time, and the earth is secured from future worldwide floods. Here we have, though, a key point that, must, that will, uh, will be exacerbated by our next one with the Tower of Babel. This is a key point. This is one of those divergent points that and we have to understand our Bible to know what is going on from here. And that is Noah's three sons. Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, these three go on to have 16 sons between the three of them. And these 16 grandsons of Noah will become the father of the nations. To this day, we can, and I've, we've done messages on this, you can go and you can find different areas of the world still being called by the names of these grandsons. My um, my descendants are from up in the British and that area uh, for the most part, and those are Gomerites. The language still has the Gomerite name involved in that, if you look back at the old English of that. And you can go on and on with those type of things. And post-flood, we have to realize now, the earth has changed. The topography of one continent and almost no mountain ranges, that's gone. Now we've had during the flood, uh, the, uh, the upheaval, the fountains of the deep opening up, and it's now changed the atmosphere. Probably more UV radiation is coming down, so that would be one reason for them to not live as long. Also, the continents have been split apart on the continental divides that, that are the, down through the ocean bed, and there's some sinking that's occurred there. There's, there's areas where continents have ripped apart. Other areas have smashed together, and they have formed mountain ranges now like have ne that were never seen before. So the topography of the world has completely changed as this occurred. The atmosphere, as I mentioned, it's less hospitable to long life. Most likely higher degrees of UV, uh, UV protection, possibly even lower oxygen level. We don't know for sure there. Now, there is a chart there if you don't mind showing that, that one there. So God tells them you're only going to live 120 years now. And sure enough, as you start to graph out the different people that tell us how long they, they live, there's an exponential decay, if you're, if you're a math guy, there's an exponential decay there of ages, down to, as we see down through Moses, to exactly what God said was going to occur. I find that very interesting. So we can see that on that, that chart. Which leads us then to 1.4, the Tower of Babel. We're in this stage, first stage of creation. We've seen creation. We've seen the flood. We, we, sorry, the fall. Then we've seen the flood. And now we see the Tower of Babel. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. If we look at the different ages, so this is a good one for perspective. Most likely, if you do the calculations, you're somewhere after the flood to the Tower of Babel, 
You're somewhere around 100 to 150 years between there. Okay? Peleg is told to be that one that was there when the earth divided. Now, some people think that's when the continents shifted. I do not believe that. I believe that means when the earth, when the word that's used there, it refers to people groups. And this is when we, they separated. So during his lifetime, we know where he lived in, in that time frame. So uh, Noah was most likely still alive when this occurred. Now, he was near death, but when the Tower of Babel happened, he was probably late in his life. Now, remember I said the, the, this is a divergent point. Shem, Ham, and Japheth now are starting to repopulate the earth as we know it today. The people are still one language. 11.1 says, And the whole earth was with one language and one speech. Evil, though, is starting on the rise again. They're starting to do whatever they want to do. The people, as we look at Nimrod, have, are, have started to subjugate others, and they've started to control others, and the, the Lord decides to step in to keep this from repeating again what happened prior to the flood. And verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. Go to verse 7. Go to, let us, this is the Lord speaking, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. It was at this point that we see the 16 grandsons of Noah and their descendants literally becoming the father of nations. They will split all over the world. Shem's descendants will stay in that, pretty much that area and they will become the lineage from which Abraham comes from. It's, the, it's where David would eventually come from. It's the Lord Jesus Christ would descend from, from Shem's descendants. They would stay in that immediate area. Japheth, his, his folks would become the, the descendants that go up into the European nations. Now, these are broad strokes. Understand that, all right? There's some differences on some of these. But for the most part, that's where they go. Ham's, Ham's descendants, they would become uh, the, the people that would, uh, the descendants down in Africa and different parts of Asia. And really, if you look at it, that went across the, the, the Bering Strait over into, uh, into North America as well and down into South America. You can find that lineage all through that DNA structure all, that goes through all of those different folks. I find that very interesting. But it helps us then to see who is who and where they descended from. A further spreading of the people. So we, also, we already had the, the God telling us the age was going to decrease. We had the topography change, which, you know, if you're going to live up in Siberia, only a f certain few people are going to be able to survive that. But now you also have split the gene pool. Right? Thinking, thinking through this, we've now isolated ourselves along the, these lines to the changed atmosphere and topography. So we have some people in certain areas of the world that are going to excel due to their environment. Others that are going to die out. And we have this going on around the, around the world. It's at the same time that you will see the rise of the Mesopotamian culture. You'll hear, uh, you'll hear stories of a great flood and they'll use different names for that. They're tying off of the history that they had heard of Noah and the flood. Uh, you will see on pottery, there has been carvings. I think I mentioned this uh, when we talked about uh, creation and Noah, but there are carvings on some Mesopotamian pottery of different types of ships that look a lot like the ark. We have at this time, many believe this is where we see the life of Job coming, starting out. This poetical book of a man that knows God he has faith in him, yet we know from how he speaks it's prior to the law that's been given. His contemporary most likely is Abraham. So after this time, we see Abraham coming onto the scene. And if we follow the years of birth and death, Abraham was probably born just a few years, as I said, after Noah's death. Noah saw ten generations of his family. And that's where Brother Rick will pick up next week with Abraham. So let's recap. 
The creation stage takes us from the very first day to a world, honestly, if we think about it, that looks very similar to our world today. The topography is the same. The sky is the same. Where the people are headed in different areas, uh, where they've, they've grown up, that's, that's getting very similar. Uh, Adam's sin, it sent shockwaves through mankind, death, nakedness, curse, sorrow, thorns, sword, they all now plague us. In the growing sin and evil of man's heart, forgive, forgive me for this uh, brutal term, God rebooted with Noah. And then the same issue comes about, and then God promises not to flood the earth again, but so he confounds man's language. And he, by doing that, he puts a roadblock in our ability to do whatever comes to our mind. And as we see society today, as the roadblock of language continues to break down, as we have computers and different things that allow us to talk and to communicate across all national barriers, we see the rise of evil coming even more. So, may we go back to the original creation of man for, for God to extend his love outside the Trinity. He didn't need us, but he chose to extend his love outside the Trinity onto his creation. Even in our rejection, we see God's love's long-suffering hand toward us. Isn't that awesome? We see God's way of escape pointing us to him for salvation. And we will see this stage after stage after stage in the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the different um, ways to look at your word. But dear Heavenly Father, as we go down through each of these stages, that you would help us to see different things that we can apply in our lives to help put the picture of this together that we might grow closer to you. We might be uh, even more useful in your service as well. Be with our kids and our, the children and the teens as they are studying and learning your word and help them to develop. And if there are any that don't know Christ, that they would accept Christ before it's too late in their life as well. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.